This talk was recorded by Canvas Outreach Minneapolis, the College Ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church, as a part of the 2021 Summer Training Project. For more information on Summer Training Project or Canvas Outreach Minneapolis, visit cominneapolis.org. Cultures is discussing, but we're looking at it with a biblical framework. And we've talked about masculinity, we've talked about femininity, we talked about race, and today we're gonna to be talking about sexuality. And sexuality is something that everyone agrees upon and it's not a hot topic issue, right? No, uh, it's a big word in society today um, and there's a lot to talk about on it and we aren't gonna be able to cover it all today um, or this morning, but we want to talk about it at, at the very least and start a discussion. So. When I say sexuality, I mean the way people experience and express themselves <coughs> sexually. I didn't come up with that definition as a dictionary definition, so believe it. Uh, but sexuality is that, and that's what I'm sort of basing this talk off of. My hope is that this will be a starting point for you to dive more deeply into the, what the Bible says about sexuality. And I pray that these truths will build you up and help you to love Christ and others more. My ultimate desire, simply, is for us to know that God is good. And in, that he's good in relation to sexuality. And knowing that God is good glorifies him in our knowledge of him and how we approach and interact with sexuality. In seeing that God is good, I want us to know also that Jesus is greater. And that we can count all things, including unbiblical sex or sexuality, as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. And as we discuss this this morning, I, I do want to acknowledge that sexuality is an issue that us in the room have either had personal experience with or we know friends and family for which this is a real issue. Uh, and we don't approach this topic lightly, but we approach it with biblical truth and gospel love. All right. so. I'm excited to talk about sexuality. You guys might not be, but I'm excited because it's something that I've thought about a lot, prayed about a lot, and dove, dive, dove, dove into the Bible for answers on. And um, I see it as a joy to talk about, but I also want to acknowledge that there are people in the room that don't feel that way. Um, maybe you're thinking, how can God be good if he's giving me these feelings I can't act on? How can God be good if um, he's allowed these things to happen to me. Like, how can God love me after what I have done? Maybe you just want to be normal, like everyone else. And as I bring up sexuality, um, you're on the edge of your seat wondering if the person next to you can tell that you are nervous. You're keeping track of every movement because you don't want to give anything away. And I bring that up because that's the majority of my life. That's how I responded when people talked about sexuality and specifically homosexuality because a part of the story that God is redeeming in my life is SSA or same-sex attraction. And this is not a part of God's good plan that was given before the fall. And defining what I mean by SSA is that I, a man, experience attraction towards other men. And this is my reality. Um, and I think this gives clarity to my fleshly desire, what it looks like, my fleshly desire, while not making it my identity. And I didn't even know that phrase until my freshman year of college. Um, growing up, I thought that I was doomed to be gay. Uh, 
All right, you probably notice I'm getting a little nervous. I'm just going to take a break, and we're going to pray, and I'm going to share a little bit more. God, thank you so much for uh, this morning and just the opportunity to share stories and to be real and to explain the beauty of who you are, the beauty of who you have made us to be, and, and God, that even though we fail to live up to that, that you sent your son to die for us, um, and he lived up for it perfectly for us. So, God, work um, in me and through me today. Help any of my words that are helpful be remembered. Help any that are not be forgotten. Uh, and let me look to you, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Let me trust in you um, as I share today. In your name, amen. Uh, so like I said, uh, SSA is a part of the story that God is redeeming in my life. And I was 12 years old when I first noticed that I was attracted to men. Um, but I didn't realize the depths of my attraction at that time. I still liked girls, and I had girls in middle school, which you can call them that, it's middle school. Uh, but in the back of my mind, there was this odd interest in some of my male peers. I grew up going to church, so I was taught explicitly that homosexuality was a sin. And my family was more conservative, so I learned implicitly that I would not be loved if I was gay. I was deeply ashamed and not supposed to have these feelings. And my way of dealing with them was to ignore them and make sure that no one else knew. I thought that if I shared, them, shared what I was experiencing with others, it would become more real, and I didn't want them to become real. And I was also deathly afraid of anyone finding out because I was certain that they would judge, ostracize, and ultimately hate me. Throughout high school, I prayed that these feelings would go away, but they never did. I was in a silent struggle. I was fighting against myself with no hope of gaining any ground against these feelings. And it was incredibly difficult to fight because I was confused about three main things. I had three big questions. One, is homosexuality really a sin? Two, why did God make me like this? Specifically, why would God make me this way if he wanted me to be happy? And three, could people ever really love me if they knew I was gay? I had questions, but no answers. I had desires, but I couldn't act on them. I had God, who was telling me how to live my life, but I had no savior who lived it perfectly for me. My junior year of high school, I was diagnosed with clinical depression. And there were, of course, a variety of underlying factors, but one of the main ones was that straightness was an unmet goal that I could not attain and there was no hope for me sexually. I continued to hide my feelings but looked at culture and was intrigued by the way that people were finding the courage to share with others about being gay. At this point, Lady Gaga's Born This Way, Katy Perry's Firework were becoming gay anthems. Um, but I was in darkness. My senior year of high school, I, said I, I started to accept my fate, and I was ready to say that I was gay. I met my first out gay friend, and mind you, this was over 10 years ago, and the world, and especially high school, had a different feel when it came to sexuality. Um, but I met this, this out friend, and I was interested in what life looked like for someone who was able to be themselves and not live a lie. Uh, I sensed happiness from him and wanted the freedom that he exuded, and he told me exactly what I wanted to hear. He said that the Bible outlaws homosexuality in those specific cultures and times, not today, that it isn't really a sin. Question one, check. He said, God would not make you this way if he didn't want us to be happy. 
we can follow these feelings to find happiness. Question two, check. And he told me, and I saw that he had friends and family that loved him, even though he was gay. Question three, check. I started to wonder, maybe this is okay. God wants us to be happy, and being gay seems to make people happy. Maybe it will work for me. I tried, and I didn't. I came out to close friends, and they were all so happy and proud of me. I shared with my youth pastor, and she was affirming. I even told my mom, I think I'm gay. And she welcomed me with love and a hug. But it didn't make me happy. It didn't fulfill all my needs. It didn't cure my longing to be wanted and desired by someone unconditionally. It wasn't enough. I decided that guys weren't for me, but at that point there was no conviction, just an experience that showed me the light was not found with someone of the same sex. I went back to darkness and hid my feelings. I was in chains to this identity. My freshman year of college allowed me to be in Bible studies that talked about purity. And I would share, but I would keep it vague enough so that no one would be suspicious that my attraction were towards men and not women. At a Christian college, I was still fearful of being judged for having these homosexual desires, even if I wasn't acting on them. Then in the spring of my freshman year, I shared with my Bible study leaders that I was attracted to men. They loved on me, but also explained that same-sex attraction was not a sin, but a temptation to sin, and that it is simply not an, it is simply an attraction not an identity. They didn't coddle me and say that my temptations were right, but said that acting on them would be sinful. They spoke the truth with love in relationship. I was encouraged by them to share with my roommate project that following summer, but still being fearful of judgment, I only shared that it was a struggle I had in the past, not that it was something I was still currently fighting. At Project, for the first time, I experienced true grace. I understood the gospel and what Christ has done on our behalf, that no part of my sin was too deep for God to cover, and I found the happiness and unconditional love that I was yearning for. My sophomore year of college, I started sharing with more people at Bethel to walk in the light as we are commanded to do. But because I didn't know where I stood, I looked into this sin and saw what people on both sides of the issue were doing. I studied the Bible and let the word of God prove itself in what is right and what is wrong. The Bible brought me to the conclusion that homosexuality is a sin. More specifically, homosexual acts are sins that go against God's good and perfect plan but simply experience attraction towards members of the same sex does not constitute a sin unless it is lustful or a physical act. I started to talk with people about my struggle, my real struggle, the last 10% that got really awkward when I confessed it to my closest friends and disciplers about the deceitfulness of my heart. But it was worth it. Walking in the light helped to defeat the lies of darkness and allowed me to have brothers alongside me in the fight for holiness. Like Peter in John 6, I asked, where else would I go? You, Christ, have the words of eternal life. Jesus has the only thing worth having. All other options are no options at all. In Christ, I felt the freedom that I searched for in high school. 
The questions that I had were answered with ultimate authoritative truth. Are homosexual acts really a sin? Yes, and like any sin, it is paid for by the blood of Jesus on the cross. I am set free in Christ and am no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. Question one, check. Why did God make me like, like this? Why would God make me this way if he wanted me to be happy? God knit me together in my mother's womb. He, in his redemptive plan, created me to be dependent on him and find true and utter happiness in joy and fulfillment in Christ. This struggle that I have shows me more of Christ's love and that his grace is sufficient for me. Question two, check. Could people ever really love me if they knew I was gay? Well, that's the thing. Gay isn't my identity. It's an identity created outside of the Bible. We are either sinners or saints because of Christ's blood. I have his, and because of Christ's blood, I have his righteousness imputed onto me. I am fully known and fully loved by Christ. And I say fully known first because Christ knows everything about me and he still loves me. And because Christ loved us first, I'm able to be loved by brothers and sisters in Christ with a type of love that shows I'm not my thoughts or my actions, but I am a beloved brother in the family. Question three. Check. The Bible became what I would cling to over my desire to be good or my ever-changing feelings. It held my new and the only reality. The past eight years have allowed for tremendous growth as I have focused my battle not towards heterosexuality, but towards holiness. It is my ultimate desire to be like Christ, and it hasn't been easy. I still have same-sex desires, but Jesus tells us, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I carry my cross through pain, through tears, and through longing, reminding myself that Christ is better. And there is a lot of confusion and sorrow and triumph and grief and joy in the struggle to live faithfully before God as a person with SSA. But my story isn't over yet. And I know that whatever happens in the future, God will use it to glorify himself and prove his worthiness in my life. He is my Lord and my savior. And this is just me. It's just one story, not the only story. Your story is fully known to the Lord, and I want us together to now look at God's story. So let's pray before we do that. God, thank you for stories, that you are the great author, that you are writing a story for each and every one of us, and that, God, I pray that anyone that relates to what I sh shared would find you as worth it, that we would all know that you are a God of yes, a better yes than than what the world offers, that we would remember that we are not alone, and that we would know that sin does not define us if we are in Christ. So God, help us to learn more about what you mean by holy sexuality and what you call us to in your word, in your name, amen. So if you guys have ever been to an airport, you may have seen like the moving sidewalk, I call it a conveyor belt, uh, and you get to use that to get to your gate faster. You just step on it, and then it like moves you across. And it moves even if you're not physically moving. Uh, and this is what society does for us. We are on a moving sidewalk as people around us and society at large 
tell us how to live and what to think. So we are just there, and society is propelling us forward with a narrative that they're trying to create. We are being impacted by the false narrative that culture is screaming at us. Uh, June is Pride Month. There are rainbows everywhere. Just last week, there's a new news articles, and the big thing that people are talking about is an NFL player coming out as gay. The, the moving sidewalk desensitizes and normalizes sex. You see it in commercials, in TV shows, in magazines at the checkout at Walmart. Uh, everywhere you look, there is sex and sexuality, and it's being celebrated in unbiblical ways. Even if you guys watch The Bachelorette, she's sex positive, which means that we can promote an open attitude towards sex and sexuality. That's, what, that's one thing that's culture saying. Another thing is autonomy, or the right of self-government. That I can choose what's right for me, and you do you. I do me, you do you. I just talked with a friend last month that said that he can be in a homosexual relationship because it's what he wants, and although his community, his family, the Bible tells him that that isn't the way that he should be living, he says it's his body, his choice. He can decide and be the ultimate governing body for his life. Uh, Self-autonomy means that we're not denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following him, but we are living out our desires of our deceitful hearts. And culture also tells us that there is a separation of the body and the soul, that sex and sexual acts are not intimacy, that we can hook up and move on because it's just a physical thing, um, but that's not true, and we'll touch more on that later. So society is loud and proud, but the Bible gives us a different story, a better story than what culture and society are telling us. And I want today to help you walk or better run against what society is saying to turn around on that conveyor belt and run the opposite way and go back to what the Bible says. Our culture is going crazy and we want you to have convictions in your own lives about what society is talking about convictions to be started and developed. And I just want to note that you might give me authority because SSA is a part of my story. Culture says like, oh, you can only talk about this if this is something that you've experienced. But just because I have these feelings, that doesn't give me authority. The Bible and the ultimate authoritative truth of the Bible allows us to know what is real. So I'm basing this talk off of the Bible, not off of my story. Um, and my prayer is the same as Paul's in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And we're going to do that by looking at four main points. God's good design at creation, our corruption, God's redemption and glory in sexuality, <coughs> and then where do we go from here? So to start off, God's good design at creation. There's a quote by Philip Ryken. He's the president of Wheaton College, and it says, the better we understand God's sacred design for human sexuality, the less we will settle for smaller pleasures that quickly turn into spiritual bondage. 
Instead, we will be so captivated by God's sacred design that we will feel compelled to surrender our sexuality to Jesus Christ and experience the freedom and the, and the joy that will come as a result. This is what I want for all of us. And to better understand God's sacred design, we should go to the beginning. So just like every other uh, life training talk, we're gonna look at Genesis. Um, so lots of words up there. Main point, Genesis 1, God created man. Genesis 2, God created woman. Man and woman, two distinct sexes, only two, uh, that came together in a marriage relationship. Sexuality is a beautiful and powerful thing given to you by God from the onset of creation. That it was one man and one woman from the beginning before sin entered the world. And the Old Testament describes sex as knowing someone. And becoming one flesh is of the utmost intimacy. That you can see, um, Genesis 2 verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That that seems incredibly ridiculous to our culture today, but the way that God created sex to be is that you could be naked and not ashamed. You could be one with the person that you are in covenant relationship with. So in God's sacred design, sex is good. And the Bible talks about sex in good and intimate ways. Uh, in Proverbs 5, so if you have little kids, you might want to do like earmuffs or something like that. But um, in Proverbs 5, it says, um, this is a wise father instructing his son. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. In Song of Solomon, it says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. So these are just two examples of how the Bible talks about sex in good ways. It says that sex is a good thing uh, in the confines of marriage, and it should be honored and cherished. And the Bible also says that we are embodied souls by God's good design. Psalm 139 expresses this embodied soul reality. For I formed, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Therefore, what happens to your body impacts your emotions, your heart, your spirit. And this is true for us sexually. It is a reality that sex does not only impact our bodies, but our souls as well. And culture is trying to tell you that that isn't true, but the Bible says it differently. Ultimately, you need to hear this loud and clear. Sex is a beautiful thing. God designed it, but the world, your experiences, and so much more is working to corrupt your understanding of sex. In other words, our innate sexual desire is not a sin, it is good, but it has been perverted and corrupted due to our sin. So we're gonna look at our sin and our corruption next. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And this is true sexually as well. Rachel Gilson, uh, she's an author, she struggles with SSA. She says, all people are sexually broken in need of forgiveness and transformation. And we shouldn't be surprised at the um, end quote. And we shouldn't be surprised at the fallenness of this world. 
The Bible itself shares numerous stories of sexual immorality. There's David and Bathsheba, there's Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, the woman at the well had numerous husbands. Uh, sexual immorality, or in the Greek, porneia, is, is any sexual intimacy or thoughts that are outside of the context of heterosexual monogamous marriage. So porneia is the word that the Bible used specifically in the New Testament to explain anything relating to sexual immorality. Ultimately, our corruption comes from us worshiping creation rather than the creator. In Romans 1, it says, Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their heart and impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So we see that this is our, our very nature, that we go to what God has created instead of God himself. Our corruption shows that our world is broken and we should be appalled by that. In Jeremiah 2, it says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, because this is what we have done. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Why would we go to a pile of dirt, to mud, to try and fill our thirst when the fountain of living water is there? But that's what we choose to do. And if you don't believe me, look at the stats. Uh, people, living, people living together, um, sex and experimentation before marriage is now the norm. People will think you're strange if you don't do it. In 2016, 60% of high schoolers had engaged in some type of sexual activity. And this was up from 30% in 1996, so it doubled in 20 years, the amount of high school students engaging in sexual activity. Porn sites have more net traffic than Amazon, Netflix, and Twitter combined. That's how many people are looking at pornography. 64% of Americans, 13 to 24 years old, intentionally watch porn at least once a week. 54% of men masturbate weekly, and 26% of women do. And one in four college women will be a victim of sexual assault. This is heartbreaking that this is what our culture is going to, this dirt, this mud that will not satisfy instead of the fountain of living water. And Christians haven't done it, haven't done it perfectly either. The church has and is struggling. And it's not that different from what the world looks like. There's a Christian Mingle survey, so these are people trying to date other Christians, Christians dating Christians, and they say that 61% would have sex if they're not in love, that 23% need to be in love, and only 11% said that sex is reserved for marriage. Some other Christian stats from a book called Love Thy Body says that two-thirds of Christian men watch pornography at least monthly, and that's the same rate as non-Christian men. Uh, even 54% of pastors said that they viewed porn within the last year. 
cohabitation. Uh, a Gallup poll found that almost half of teens with religious backgrounds support living together before marriage. Divorce. Among adults who identify as Christians but rarely attend church, 60% have been divorced. Of those who attend church regularly, the number is 38%. And homosexuality and transgenderism, 51% of evangelical millennials say that same-sex behavior is morally acceptable. So this is important. How we, as the church, interact with sexuality impacts people's views about biblical sexuality. And that's where we have to measure by what Jesus said, not by what his followers do. In the church, there is hypocrisy, where we say one thing, but we do another. We condemn sexuality, but then we have affairs and we have sex scandals. Um, most recently, Ravi Zacharias, this big name in Christianity, um, comes out of their sexual misconduct that he had with some of the women on his team. Um, Christianity also pursues purity culture, that um, our over-sexualized culture, where the church is trying to combat it by turning to purity, but trying to protect ourselves from and others from pornea, we've lost the benefit and joy and friendships with the other sex. Uh, Christianity also ostracizes or, um, like Zach was saying in his talk on Wednesday, dominates the conversation. That you cannot be in the church if you do not look, act, and believe what we believe. Uh, you guys have probably all seen people with picket signs that say, like, you're going to hell, like, um, all, those, all those different things. And uh, the church also has an indistinction or assimilation um, to culture. It doesn't look very different from the world and how we act and think. So maybe, maybe you have had a sexual past or are dealing with your sexuality, and I want you to know that you are not alone. Everyone in this room is impacted by the corruption of sin, and just because you have different concerns or you have sinned in different ways, it does not mean that you are any better or worse in the eyes of God. Our corruption all makes us fallen, but the story doesn't end here. If the story were to end here, it would be a tragedy. But God is a perfect author who writes something better, and this is where his redemption comes into sexuality. The story doesn't end because in Christ there is no condemnation. Romans 8, 1 and 2, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The story isn't over because in Christ we are new creations. 2 Corinthians 5, 16-17 says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And the story isn't over yet because God has a good and perfect plan for each and every one of us. No matter what your sin, your struggle, or your suffering has been and will be. Romans, Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So God does redeem us from our sexuality. 
And God has glory in sexuality because in Christ we are set apart to be sanctified. In Colossians, it says that we should set our minds on things that are above, not on things of earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So we should put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So again, pornea is anything outside of marriage, this sexual immorality. And we don't look at it as, how far can I go? Um, but the Bible says to flee sexual immorality. It's not how close can I get before this is a sin, but run away. Turn around on the conveyor belt and run in the other direction. First Corinthians 6.18 says flee sexual immorality. And being set apart in Christ, we pursue holiness. First Peter 1, 15-16 But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And Jesus tells us in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So we know that God has commanded us to flee sexual immorality. And if we love Christ, we will do that because he is greater. We pursue holy sexuality. And Christopher Yuan, uh, he is an author. He deals with uh, same-sex attraction. He describes holy sexuality as chastity and singleness or faithfulness in marriage. And this is what all of us can pursue together. Uh, sex is only for marriage, no exceptions. It's the only place where sex works in the context of a covenant where it's not a consumer relationship, but it's a covenant relationship. Sex isn't, I have a need, so I'm going to go out and meet that need. It isn't, I love the feeling, so I'm going to take and not give. It isn't holding on to independence or saying you conform to my needs, but it's I conform to meet your needs in the context of a covenant relationship. God intended marriage between one man and one woman to be a reflection of his own relationship with us, between us and him, the church and Christ. And pursuing holy sexuality is hard and it requires self-denial. Uh, Sam Albury has a quote. He uh, is a pastor in the UK. Uh, he deals with same-sex attraction. He says, the cost of discipleship looks high for those coming to faith from an LGBTQ plus background. But that must not disguise the fact that the cost of discipleship is high for everyone. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The key word anyone. To follow Jesus, all of us will have to, have to say a deep and profound no to some of the deepest intuitions and longings. Jesus doesn't put self in front of identity. He puts self in front of denial. So all of us are called to this. All of us are called to self-denial, whether that is due to your sexual attractions, your sexual longings, um, or it's just pride or envy or whatever it is, we all deny ourselves and follow Christ. Um, Adeline uh, Rodham says that the death of the body is easy when the soul is dead to sin. So we want to kill our sin and that will make it easier to die to our bodies. Um, and God continues to, to redeem and to have glory in sexuality because in Christ, 
we have hope. Uh, we have First Corinthians hope, uh, it says, and such were some of you. So whether we were sinned against uh, or we are sinners, uh, we are now sexually redeemed. Uh, Paul writes, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Such were all of us in this room. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What a hope that we have in Christ because of what he's done for us. No matter what our past looks like, Christ redeems us through his blood. And finally, in Christ, we are restored. Psalm 23 says that he restores our soul, that in him we can rest, that he is with us and he is for us, uh, and that whatever our struggle is and however we're fighting against it, that God is there restoring us in the fight, that the battle, the ultimate war has already been won, and in those little battles, God helps restore us. So we've seen that God's plan for sexuality was good, um, but that we have corrupted it, but that God, being a good God, has redeemed it and allows himself to be glorified in the way that we respond. And now you're probably asking, where do we go from here? What's next? And the first thing I would say of what to do next is to talk with someone. Uh, share your questions. Share what challenges you. I've probably said things in the talk you might not agree with. And if that's true for you, discuss that with someone. Share your concerns and, and utilize uh, the staff here, your room. Utilize project, this environment where all of us are trying to see more of Christ to work through these things. Come to the Q&A today. Um, and ask those questions. We don't, I mean, personally, I don't have all of the answers, but I would love to look at the Bible with you to see more clearly the answers that God does give. It's helpful to know that sexual struggles are roadmaps to past brokenness and current roadblocks in our life. Confessing and walking in the light reduces the power of darkness and, be, and allows us to be reminded of truth from others, prevents us from being deceived by the devil's lies. So talk with someone about what you're, what you're dealing with, what you're feeling. Also, remember that God's word is greater than our feelings. So I want you guys to know that there is validity of God's word and it, it overpowers our deep feelings. Never let what you feel outweigh what you know to be true in scripture. So study the word deeply to find answers. Don't just listen to culture. Don't just listen to your pastor or your parents to make your conviction, but look at what the Bible says. And as you're studying these things, ask defining questions and give definitions. So ask someone for definitions. What do you mean when you say you're gay? What do you mean by bi? That can mean a whole lot of different things. I have friends that say that they are gay Christians. That means I have these attractions, but I'm not acting on them. I'm walking faithfully in chastity, and I'm, I'm not going to act on these. And I have friends that say that they are gay Christians, 
that are in homosexual relationships. So you to ask defining questions to understand what the people you're talking to are actually saying. Never assume, like even you're on an airplane and the stewardess always tells you how to use a seatbelt. You probably know how to use a seatbelt, but they never assume that. So never assume in these conversations. Uh, and next, consider taking a radical step to health. Um, research says that 90 days of abstinence is needed to begin rewiring the brain. So maybe down at Project, it's been the, the longest time that you haven't been able to look at pornography or the longest time that you haven't masturbated. Um, or maybe that's not true. Maybe you're still struggling with those things down here. But again, try to use this environment to take radical steps to health. And you do that now when you have a month left to fight together with the people in your room, the people around you. And ultimately, we pray. Where do we go from here? We pray. Uh, we run to God in prayer and we spend time with him alone and with others. We ask him to work through his Holy Spirit to give us clarity and to encourage us and to remind us of who he is. And I want, I want to end today uh, and I want to encourage you with a quote by Rachel Gilson. Uh, she says, we have no shame which he was not willing to put on his own back and bear away. We have no sin that his blood doesn't drown. Because of his work and his love, we do have a future and hope that outstrips our past and present. We will be oaks of righteousness planted in his groves, fruitfully beautiful under his care. So let me pray. God, we thank you that sexuality and sex was a good thing created by you at the beginning of time. And God, we understand that we have corrupted that, that our impure hearts, our, the deceitfulness of our hearts, our sin has led us astray to worship creature rather than creator. But God, we thank you that you know that about us and you have loved us enough to send your son to die on the cross for us, that Jesus chose to get on the cross to die for all of our sexual sin. And God, that is past, present, and future. So God, help us to cling to holiness. Help us to uh, imitate Christ and be sanctified more and more into his image. And, and God, be with us as we are challenged and we work through difficult things. Help us to know that you keep our tears in a bottle, that you keep count of our tossings, that you go before us, behind us, beside us, and your Holy Spirit is within us. So whatever people uh, are responding and, and um, feeling right now, God, let that be felt deeply. Let them not run away and forget about it as I did in high school, but let them talk with someone and let the conversation start so that, that convictions can be made and you can be glorified. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the 2021 Summer Training Project hosted by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church. 
Please feel free to share this message with others, but please don't charge, edit, or alter the content in any way without the written permission of Campus Outreach Minneapolis.